morning. Be back in the second chapter of the Gospel of John this morning. Those of you that were here last week, we covered the first 11 verses in this chapter uh, last Sunday and uh, covering the marriage at Cana, uh, which is, according to John's Gospel, the first miracle that Jesus worked at the beginning of his ministry when he turned water into wine. And like I said, that covered the first uh, first 11 verses of chapter 2 in the Gospel of John. So we're going to pick up in verse 12, and good Lord willing, we'll finish up uh, this chapter this morning. Verse 12 of God, uh, John chapter 2 says, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. So this begins with after after this after what after what we just said what we covered last week the the miracle of the turn, turning of water into wine after this they went down to Capernaum and Capernaum uh, we learn throughout the Gospels uh, not necessarily in John's Gospel but uh, really in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke especially Capernaum pretty much became the headquarters. Uh, for Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And uh, uh, this is where uh, they met and they dwelled and they preached and taught, uh, or he instead of they, I should say. Uh, but then, like I said, this kind of became the headquarters, the hub uh, for Jesus during, during his Galilean uh, ministry. And uh, oddly enough, just on a side note, while this was... Yes, the headquarters, Capernaum, was. Uh, Jesus actually uh, pronounced judgment on Capernaum. And you read about that in the other Gospels. You don't read about it in the Gospel of John. I actually preached a sermon on that very scripture uh, one time. And it's a, it's a sad state uh, that those people were in, the miracles that they were witnessing and the things that they were seeing Jesus Christ do, and yet they didn't believe. All, all these, all these miracles that they saw him perform, uh, and and they just didn't believe, and it, it's a, a sad thing. It's kind of like a, a burn red from John chapter six this morning. Jesus saying that he was the bread of life, and anybody that uh, came after him, walked with him, anybody that saw Jesus Christ, and anybody that truly believed in him, would not hunger and would not thirst, uh, but. Uh, what you got to understand in that chapter, uh, in John chapter 6, is Jesus was telling them basically what he says in John 14, that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Uh, but these people were saying, what can we do? What can we do to have eternal life? Uh, what, uh, what can I do? And Jesus is telling them, believe on me. But like so many other men and women through the ages, uh, we think that uh, that something lies on us, something, you know, whether it's giving money or whether it's preaching or teaching or singing or whatever the case is, we have to do something, folks, and salvation is of the Lord. It is 100% uh, holy and utterly of God Almighty. Uh, but like I said, that's just kind of a side note. But just so you know where it says uh, after this that uh, they went down to Capernaum, and it lists these people. He, uh, he, and his mother, and his brethren, and his disciples. They all went down to Capernaum, 
and Capernaum became the hub and the headquarters of Christ's Galilean ministry. Uh, verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is the first of three Passovers that are brought up in the Gospel of John. And uh, because of these timelines, uh, and because of what we're reading here previously in chapter 2, what we went over last week, uh, and because of certain timelines in the three Passovers, this is how we come up uh, with the ministry of Jesus Christ lasting about three and a third years to three and a half years. I mean, I, I wasn't there, folks. I wasn't alive in this time. I don't know the exact amount of time, but we can safely say it was three plus years that Jesus Christ's ministry uh, uh, lasted. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 3, I believe it is, it says that Jesus began to be about 30 years of age when his ministry began. That's how we come up with the age of 33 and a third to 33 and a half years that Jesus lived on this earth is because of these timelines. Like I said, this is the first of three mentionings of a Passover, and the Passover only took place once per year. So that's how we come up uh, with those numbers. Nowhere in the scripture uh, does it explicitly state uh, that, uh, that Jesus' ministry was, was three years. And nowhere does it uh, explicitly say that he was 33 that I can think of. But we can take these facts from Luke and uh, that he, that he was, uh, began to be about 30 years of age. And the fact that when his ministry began, the fact that there were three Passovers here in the Gospel of John, and we can come up with 33 uh, plus years that Jesus Christ was on this earth. So the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why did he go to Jerusalem? This is where people went for the Passover. And the man-made rule uh, for this was that any Jew within 15 miles, or let me rephrase, any male Jew within 15 miles of Jerusalem had to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Exceeding 15 miles away, you could go elsewhere and celebrate the Passover uh, if you wanted to. And I said, no, that's a man-made rule. That was something that the Jews came up with themselves. Uh, but Jesus was following, uh, following this, this Passover ordinance, really, uh, that God had given over in the book of Exodus. I mean, really and truly, Jesus is, Jesus is the very one that gave that ordinance. He's the very one that created the Passover. He's the very one over, uh, over in Exodus when uh, before the, the plague of the, of the firstborn, of the death of the firstborn uh, came, he's the one that told the Jews uh, through Moses that they needed to, to kill the Passover lamb and they needed to take the blood of this lamb and strike it on their doorposts, strike it on their lentils to, uh, to mark it there. And he said, when I I pass, uh, pass uh, or when when I pass over, I'll, I'll pass over your house. Uh, you'll be safe from me over there in Exodus. So Jesus uh, here following the very law that God passed, and this is something that we see over and over in the scriptures. Jesus never once uh, uh, failed to keep a law or to keep a feast that uh, that that God had put in place. 
uh, here. Like I said, he's the one that created it anyway. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, was he not? And Jesus is God now, is he not? So why would he not keep the law that he himself made? So the Jews' Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money, uh, of money sitting so he goes into the temple and this is what he finds people selling oxen people selling sheep and people selling doves and any of you that were here when we went through uh, the first seven chapters of Leviticus on Wednesday nights uh, over the course of a few weeks this, this should ring a bell with you. This is what, uh, these are the things that were offered in many of the offerings. There were oxen for those that could afford oxen. And those that couldn't afford oxen or had no need of oxen in their, uh, uh, in their yards or their land or whatever you wanted to call it, they could bring a sheep for a sacrifice. And those that couldn't afford sheep, they, uh, they could bring a dove and do- uh, doves, turtle doves and pigeons. These were things that were easily caught. And uh, even the poorest of the poor uh, could manage to bring that. And this was God's way of making sure that every man was able to make uh, to, to, to follow the law and the ordinance that, that God put into place. This was so that nobody would be left out. But folks, what was the purpose of going to the temple? What was the purpose over in Leviticus of going to the tabernacle? It wasn't just to bring an animal so it it could be killed. The purpose was to worship God. It was to go there and it was to worship God. And this was an ordinance that, or these were ordinances, I should say, that God put into place that he could be worshipped, that, that, he, that, he, that showed that he was reconciled to these men, these men were reconciled unto him, and they were free to worship him, but they had to worship him how God said to worship them in no other way. So these men, when Jesus enters into the temple here in John chapter 2, there were, there were people selling oxen and selling sheep and selling these doves. Uh, and any of you that have been in church or uh, been in the scriptures for any amount of time, uh, you're well familiar with this account. So he sees all these things, and he sees the changers of money sitting. In verse 15, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my, fa- my father's house and house of merchandise. So back to verse 15. When he made a scourge of small cords. What is this? It's a whip. God made a whip. This is what we would commonly call today a cat of nine tails that Jesus would have made. He made, he made a whip with several, several small cords hanging off of it. It says he made a scourge of small cords and he drove them all uh, out, out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. So not only the ones that were selling uh, these animals within the, the, court, the courts of the temple, and this would have been in the Gentile court of the temple, but he not only drove the, the, the sellers out, he drove their animals out as well. And it doesn't say uh, where exactly these animals went to. We, uh, we can rightfully assume they just went out into the streets. Ran, ran off uh, 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 free, wherever, free to go wherever they wanted to. But in verse 16, it says, And he said to them that sold doves, uh, take these things hence. So he didn't just run through and loose the cages 
of the doves, but he told the people that were selling the doves, you take these out and you, you free them. But back to verse 15 again, it says, uh, uh, and overthrew the tables, overthrew the, the money changers' tables. Now, folks, there's a lot of people that think that this is uh, the people that took the money uh, for the selling of the of the livestock that was being sold here. And that's not necessarily the case. This is money changers. People were coming from all around uh, uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, the money changers were exactly what the scripture says they were. They were money changers. People would bring their currency from whatever area that they were in. It ain't, uh, uh, you know, like here in the United States, we have the United States dollar. If we go to uh, Pakistan or we go to Ethiopia or we go somewhere in South Africa, our dollar ain't going to do us a whole lot of good there. We're going to have to exchange our currency when we get there. We'll have to exchange a U.S. dollar for whatever type of, of money that they use there. And, and this was what the money changers did. But they also charged a, a, a huge uh, exchange rate for doing this. You bring me a dollar in your currency, I'll give you 25 cents back in the currency that you need to buy these animals. Uh, so uh, it was exorbitant uh, uh, exchange rates that they were uh, charging for these things. So Jesus goes in, he drives out all the people, or, or all the sellers, he drives out all the animals, and he overthrows the money changers' tables. And you got a whole group of people uh, right now in 2020 that'll read this scripture and say, well, he just wasn't acting like Jesus. Folks, this is exactly what Jesus did. And people will say, he got angry, he lost his temper. I can assure you, Jesus Christ has never once lost his temper. Losing your temper and being angry is two very different things. You read in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Be ye angry and sin not, neither let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Be ye angry and sin not, Paul writes to the Ephesian church. So we can be angry without sinning. God knew we'd be angry. God knew we would get angry over things. And there's some things that, uh, that is cause for anger. There's some things I'm persuaded if, we, if, if it doesn't make us angry, it's sinful. If we don't get angry about it, if we just sit, by, sit back and let some things pass by. But Jesus never, has never once, never once lost his temper. And, but that's how a lot of people will, will read this. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on in that temple courtyard. He knew the selling that was taking place. He knew the goings-on. He knew the reasons for the goings-on. And the reasons uh, fell not only on the sellers and not only on the money changers. It fell on the Jews as well because they were allowing it to happen. They were allowing the desecration of the house of God. So, it fell, so the responsibility fell to the Jews, and it also fell uh, uh, to the Gentiles. Remember, this would have been in the Gentile court. Why would, why would Jesus have been so angry, though, over people just wanting to get an animal to sacrifice unto God? Is that not the, the worship that God called for? Yes, that's the worship that God called for, but that is not the way it was to be done. But not only that, not only were they to bring something of their own flock, that way, that way it was personal to them. That way it really cost them something. But not, on, not only that, this was interfering with worship. 
This was interfering with people that had shown up to worship God. You went to the temple to worship God and for no other reason. But this shows the state that Israel was in. This shows the state that the Jews were in, that God was 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 in none of their ordinances. He was in none of their ceremonies. He, he was not in the temple at this point. Now, don't get me wrong. God is everywhere. I mean, even Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple 500 years previous, or, or hundreds of years, almost 1,000 years previous to this, even Solomon said, the heaven of the heavens cannot contain thee. Talking about God. So, yes, God is everywhere, but God was nowhere in these ceremonies that these Jews were performing. It was just empty religion for them. And once again, I'm not, I'm not down in the Jews, and I'm not uh, uh, you know, saying the Jews are any more wrong than many Christian churches uh, are nowadays. You know, they go in, they, they, yes, they might raise their hands, and yes, they might shout and scream and everything, but is God really and truly in that worship? I hope that he is, and I hope that it's not just uh, some empty, vain thing that many people are doing, but I have a feeling that's what the case is uh, more often than not in this day and time that we live in. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with raising of hands or clapping or shouting or, or anything along those lines. I'm saying make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure that it is done in worship to God. So he tells the people that sold the doves in verse 16 to take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And this is the very reason, and this is the very verse, I should say, uh, among a couple of others I could probably think of, uh, why business transactions are frowned on within the sanctuary of the church. You know, uh, even here at Free Gift and other churches that I've been to, if a singing group shows up and they've got CDs or bracelets or bumper stickers or T-shirts or anything else they want to sell, it's not done in the sanctuary. It's done outside the doors of the sanctuary. And this, uh, this verse we just read is, is one, one of a couple uh, uh, why, that, why that is. Now, folks, think about this for just a moment. Jesus goes into this temple. He goes into the courts. He drives these people out. And he tells the people selling the doves, take these things out, take these things out. And in taking those doves out, they would also have been taking themselves out. What did we read just a few verses before this? This was the Passover. The Passover was on hand. The Jews celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the same time. And when they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began with the Passover, what were they to do? According to the ordinances you find in the book of Exodus, they were to purge the leaven out of their house. This was the beginning of Passover. And I think this was symbolic of Christ purging leaven out of his house. I know he says here that, you know, how dare you basically make my father's house uh, a place of merchandise or a house of merchandise? How dare you sell things there? And he refers to it as his father's house. But folks, it was Christ's house too. If it was the father's and Christ is, is the heir to God and we are joint heirs with Christ as Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are, it was his house as well. He was purging his own house of the leaven. Leaven more often than not in scripture is a picture of sin. It's a picture of corruption. 
So he, I, I think that that's very significant in this, being it was at the very beginning of Passover that this was happening. The Passover feast was upon Jerusalem, and Jesus, the first thing he does is go to his house and purge the leaven out of it. So uh, that's just something very, very interesting to keep in mind. Uh, verse 17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. This is a quote from Psalm 69. If you have a reference Bible, uh, it probably uh, uh, shows that in your reference Bible. It probably refers you back to that. It says, the zeal of my house uh, uh, hath, hath eaten me up. And it says that his disciples remembered this. Well, why would the disciples have remembered this particular verse out of the Psalms? I mean, you've got 150 uh, chapters worth of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms recorded for us in the Scripture, and that doesn't even include the ones that are not recorded for us. Uh, but why would they remember this particular one, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the disciples uh, remembered this? Well, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Exactly what happened to Jesus. I mean, in the, in the whole story, granted, we're only in the second chapter of the Gospel of John here. But by the end of the Gospel of John, by the end of the Gospel account, we see how the zeal for the Father's house, the zeal for the things of God, hath eaten Jesus up. What does this mean? He suffered for him. He died for the zeal of the Father's house. He died for the zeal of the things of God. To please his Father is why he died. To, to save you and I is why he died. To reconcile man back to God is why he died. And he had zeal for these things. Says his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and answered the Jew then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? What sign can you give us, seeing that you do these things? Who are, in other words, who are you? Who has given you the authority to come in here? Well, first of all, when it says the Jews asked him this, this is talking about the, the priests, the, the high priests and the Pharisees, the, the well-to-do, the ones that held, held more clout. It ain't just talking about Jews in general. This is talking about the, uh, the goody-two-shoe Jews, we might call them. Uh, they're the ones that, that's being referred to here. It says, uh, the Jews said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing that thou do these things? In other words, who gave you the authority to do this? Well, Jesus had just told them, in not so many words, who had given him the authority when he said, when he said, how dare you make my father's house a house of merchandise or a place of merchandise? This was, again, refer, Jesus referring uh, to the deity of himself and saying that, that that God the Father is his Father, making him God the Son, making him God, making Jesus God. Showed them that uh, they is. But these Jews were seeking a sign from Jesus. And this is something that was common with the Jewish people. They would want signs for people to prove that they were who they said that they were, that they were indeed a prophet from God, or they were indeed a, a man of God, or whatever the case is. Uh, in fact, this is referred to in the scriptures as the Jews seek after a sign. Uh, and Jesus actually said, said himself, he said, no sign will I give thee except for the sign of Jonas. Who's Jonas? Jonah. 
He said, just as Jonas was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. In other words, he was talking about his death and his resurrection. He said, that's the only sign that you people are getting from me. Once again, talking to the, to the higher-up Jews uh, when he said that. But they asked, what, what sign showest thou unto us, uh, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this, t- was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. So back to verse uh, uh, 18 again, then answered, or 19, then answered Jesus unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. This verse uh, comes under a lot of scrutiny uh, because of other verses in the scripture. And I have mentioned this verse I know here uh, before while, while teaching or preaching one, and I've mentioned it other places as well. And I mentioned it uh, uh, in, uh, as the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, was a collaborative effort of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because all three of them are credited in the scripture of being, uh, uh, as being who raised Jesus from the dead. Here Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Me, myself, I will do this thing. Elsewhere in the scripture, it says that God does this thing. Elsewhere in the scripture, it says that the Spirit done this thing. But folks, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit make one triune God. And if one of them had anything to do with it, all three of them had something to do with it. You cannot separate uh, any of the three persons of the Godhead. They are constantly, uh, they are constantly in agreement with each other on everything. And anything that one does, the other two agree to, and the other two have their part uh, in it. So he, uh, uh, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Now this was uh, the temple that Solomon built, yes, but Herod had been making some renovations to the temple. He had been remodeling the temple at this point. The temple began with the one that Zerubbabel had, uh, had built uh, uh, after it was destroyed uh, about 500 years previous to this, give or, give or take a decade. Uh, but, but Zerubbabel had the, uh, began the work on the original temple that was in this place. The original temple was Solomon's, yes, uh, but uh, once again, it was destroyed. Uh, it was destroyed when Babylon came in and raised Jerusalem. Uh, so it was rebuilt, and then Herod, uh, Herod had begun some remodeling on it. And this is what's being, refer- being uh, referred to here. It says, Forty and six years of this temple and building, wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. So here we have clarification of what temple Jesus Christ was talking about, the temple of his body. And uh, again, when we think about Jesus Christ coming to the temple, to the the actual physical temple here, and it being Passover week and him purging the the leaven, Again, we can think about the temple of our own bodies, not of Jesus' body. Jesus had no leaven. Jesus had no sin that needed to be purged. Uh, no guile was ever found in the mouth of Jesus Christ. 
but uh, we ourselves being temples of the Holy Spirit, being temples of God, uh, do we not need ourselves to purge the leaven out of ourselves? And not just once a year does that need to be done. It needs to be done daily. It needs to be done hourly. Uh, if we're saved, born-again children of God, that leaven of that sin uh, needs to be purged out. Verse 22, when, there, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples re remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So in the previous verse here, it says that he wasn't speaking about the, the physical temple, but he was talking about the temple of his body. And it says, when he was, therefore, when he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. The this that is brought up here is that, uh, that, that he was said in three days, I will, I will raise it up. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So this rightfully gives us a question here in scripture. Just how much did the disciples believe in Jesus Christ? Just what did they believe about Jesus Christ? And the correct answer is nobody knows for sure exactly how deep their belief went throughout the Gospels. But we know that their faith was shaky, just like your faith is and just like my faith is. Their faith isn't, wasn't perfect then. My faith is not perfect now, and your faith is not perfect now. But they had faith, and they had faith in Jesus Christ. They may not have understood everything. In fact, here it says uh, uh, that his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture. After they remembered what he had said to him, after his resurrection, the man had already been killed, the man had already been buried, he had already been resurrected, and for all we know, he had done ascended to the Father before they thought on this day that was going on right now that we're reading about in John chapter 2. And at that point, they believed the scripture. At that point, they believed what Jesus Christ had said. Now, folks, I said all that to say this. You don't have to believe, or you don't have to understand, I should say, everything about the scripture. You don't have, I don't understand everything about the scripture. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I did, but I'd be lying if I said that. I don't understand everything about this Bible. I don't understand everything about the gospel. I don't understand everything that I want to understand, but I believe it. I believe it when I read it, even, even if I don't completely understand it. Peter didn't completely understand Jesus. John didn't completely understand Jesus. Paul, as great of a man as Paul was, he didn't completely understand Jesus. None of these men did that we're talking about here. You don't completely understand them, and I don't completely understand them. But I understand enough to know that if I repent of my ways and I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will and am saved. I understand that much. So, once again, I mean, you, you take Peter's example. When Peter made, made the awesome comment when Christ asked him, who, who do men say that I am? Then he said, who, who do ye say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And just a couple of verses after that, Jesus starts talking about his crucifixion. And he starts talking about how he's got to be handed over into the hands of the Gentiles and into the hands of sinful men. And that he's got to be crucified. And Peter says, not so. Don't let this be. It's not going to happen, Lord. 
That shows me that even though Peter himself said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, just a couple verses later, it shows just how little he truly understood Jesus Christ. But he knew he was the Christ. And he knew he was the Son of the living God. So again, I'm just saying all this to tell you, you don't have to understand all of Scripture to be saved. And praise God for that. Because I don't understand all the Scripture. But I understand enough to get the basics that if I repent and I believe that I can be saved and that I am saved because of those things. And I'm saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. So when he was at Jerusalem, during this Passover feast, uh, in the feast day, many believed in his name. And folks, there would have been many people there to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and believe on this name of Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, this was, uh, this was the Passover feast. Jerusalem would have been flooded with Jews from, from at least 15 miles around. And I'm sure some of them uh, from beyond that had showed up in Jerusalem. Uh, for this so there would have been many people there to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and it says that many did believe in his name when they saw the miracles which he did and I think that this is uh, I think that this kind of happens now somebody somebody might get saved Some, well, we'll just say somebody does get saved somebody from from the worst family in town somebody from a mafia family say just using that as an example say somebody hears the gospel and they get saved and other people see the change that God makes in that person they see a miracle that God has wrought in that person's life and because they see this change they believe in the name of Jesus Christ but does that save them here it says Jesus didn't commit himself to these people and you might look at this scripture and say, well, why didn't he? If they believed in his name, if they believed on his name, if they believed in the miracles that he was working. Folks, don't ask the question. Scripture gives us the answer. It gives us the, the answer. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. But at the same time, as, as negative as this sounds, at the same time, I praise God that he knows me. I praise God that he knew me before. He knew of me before. I didn't know God intimately. I didn't know him personally. But he knew me before. It says in the Psalms that he knows our frame. He knows our frame. He knows what makes us up. And he knows that we're sinful. And he knew that before he ever created Adam. And before he ever took Adam's rib and created Eve. And before the serpent ever came in and beguiled Eve. And Eve talked her husband into sin. And, and before any of us ever inherited that sin from Adam and Eve. God knew what was going to happen. And yet he still made us. And he still made this world. And he still made this earth. And, he, and, and God did not give up on man. However, man gives up on God an awful lot. But God has not given up on man God made a way that man could be reconciled back to him through his son Jesus Christ 
But Christ did not commit himself to these people because he knew all men. Verse 25, one more time, and needed not that any should testify of man. He didn't need anybody to tell him about these people. He knew all men. He didn't need anybody to say, now Joe over here, he's all right, but you come over here to Johnny boy, and now you don't want anything to do with him. Nothing like that needed to be done with Jesus. Jesus knew all men, according to the verse before this, and according to this verse. For he knew what was in man. He needed not that he should testify of man. For, substitute that word for with because. He needed not that he should testify of man because he knew what was in man. He didn't need anybody to tell him about man because he knew what was in man. He created man. He walked with Adam in the garden. He walked with Eve. He was there. And he was there when sin first entered in. And he has been overseeing the entire world ever since he created it. He knows what man is and he knows what man is capable of. But he also knows what he has done to reconcile man back to a God whose wrath abides on the wicked. Jesus Christ knew man and he knows man. He will know man on into the future. And yet, Yet the invitation is still there. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Praise God. That brings us to the end of John chapter 2. Anybody got any questions or any comments on any of that? All right. If not, God bless you. I appreciate your attention.